one of the things that we would say in my family that my children probably can tell you about was a phrase they didn't particularly like. The phrase was, the job's not done till the job is done. Now, that's a truism. It's, in fact, some ways a silly statement because you say, of course. But in our family, the kids knew what that meant. It meant we still had work to do. It meant, usually what it meant was we had to clean up. Uh, I used to have discussion with particularly my boys about leaving tools out in the yard and finding them two weeks later all rusted and reminding that the job's not done till the job is done. Well, that's a nice little phrase, and it kind of is very obvious. But again, what it meant for us was there's still more work to do. Now, we use that phrase, that idea that there's still work to do, and we need to finish the task in a number of different ways. Brennan's about to graduate with his bachelor's degree, and he's got senioritis. You know, that, that I just have a little bit more to do. Do I really want to do it? And to be able to say, you know, the job's not done until the job is done. Finish it. Get it done. I notice it when we used to do construction after Hurricane Katrina or after Cindy and I's house flooded. You hit that, what I would call, the 90% done point. If you've ever done remodeling, if you've ever, especially if you've done it yourself, you hit that point where everything is functioning. It looks okay, but there's still just a few more things that need to be done, but somehow they take five years. Usually they're done right before you move. And you're about to sell the house. And there are things that people may not really notice. You'll notice it every time you walk in the house. But others might. And there's sort of that 10% that needs to be done. I notice it here at the church. It's amazing how wonderful it is to get people to help set up. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to get people to clean up. Because, you know, it's done. We're finished. No, the job's not done till the job is done. I'm afraid there's another place we do that. And it concerns me. And that has to do with our worship. The elders have been spending a lot of time talking about worship. We had wanted to do so, and the worship team came to us and said, we'd like a philosophy of worship. What what do we want worship to be? What do we want it to look like? What's its purpose? What's its reason? What's it aiming at? And so the elders began to talk about worship. And we had a book by um, Alan, uh, Alan Ross that dealt with worship. And we've been reading that, and it's a biblical theology of worship. And talking about what is worship all about. And as we've done that, it is a desire to make sure that when we do worship, we do it and we get it done. We finish it. Now when we come to Isaiah chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 12 is that place where Isaiah finishes what he started in Isaiah chapter 6. It's where he brings it to a conclusion and in the process he teaches us so much about worship. Isaiah 12 is a worship passage. Isaiah 12 is a psalm if you like. Isaiah 12 could be a hymn that might have been sung, although for sure 
It is a poem that was read. It's written incredibly carefully. And as Isaiah was writing it, you can tell as you do when you're writing a poem, every word, every phrase, every turn of that phrase has a significance to it. And I wish we had weeks and weeks to look at it. We don't. And in fact, we have a short message. And we kind of began it last week. We'll finish it this week. But there's so much theology about worship in those six verses that Dave read this morning. Now, when we begin worship, one of the things that we understand is this. Worship is about God, and because we're convinced our God is great, that's where it begins. We have a sense of who God is and what he's done and the greatness of who he is and the greatness of what he's done, and that motivates us to want to proclaim it, to tell it. To demonstrate it. So when we get that touch of God, when we get that encounter with God, we want to respond in worship. And ultimately, we want to do it together. You know the motto of Grace Community Church is living A life of what? Worship. How? Together. That's what Isaiah 12 is all about. It's the whole focus of that passage. And as we looked at last week, proper worship begins, progresses, and ends with God. I just appreciate Chris's choices of choruses this morning. And we sang about how worship is about Jesus. It's all about not me, not whether I'm blessed, not whether I'm encouraged, not whether I'm motivated, although those things happen, particularly in our corporate worship. But that's not what worship is about. That's the, let me give you a Louisiana word. That's lanyap. That's the little extra that God may choose to give. But worship is about God. If you have your Bibles, turn there to Isaiah chapter 6, and I mean, sorry, Isaiah chapter 12, and we read this last week where Isaiah so carefully in the very grammar of the, of the passage reminds us it's about God, not about the answers, not about what he provides, not about his blessings, not about all those things. They are wonderful, but it is God that is the center of our, our, our lives. It is God who is the foundation of all that we are and do. It is God that is the central process through which we evaluate all and make our decisions. It's God. And you remember last week we we read there where beginning in verse 2 it says, Surely God is my salvation. The person of God. The relationship with God. The covenant with God. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength. 
Yah, Yahweh. It's a doubling up. Now, in our language, if we use double negatives, we get all upset about that. I remember going to a store and we asked this one waitress, do you have this anymore? And she said, not no more. And we had to kind of work out that sentence. Not no more. So not no more means you have it. Well, in Hebrew, doubling up was an emphasis. Isaiah says it's God. It's all about God. It begins, it progresses, and it ends with God the Lord. The Lord is my strength. He is the object of my worship. He's my song. He has become my salvation. With joy I will draw the water that he provides. Isaiah wants us to understand it's all about God. This morning when we come together, it's about praising him and glorifying him. Maybe it's about being broken before him, but it's about him. And that needs to be so central. When we walk in and we register our children, I know that's new this week, isn't that cool? And we do all those kinds of things. It's not just getting that done. It's coming in to say, God, I want to focus on you. When the, when the worship team is in my office and we're praying before we come in here, do you know what they pray? God, let it be focused on you. Let people see you, not us. Our lives are about God and finding ways to express his greatness, the wonder of who he is. Both in the things we sing and in the ways that we act. In the ways that we respond. Proper worship begins, progresses, and ends with God. That's what Isaiah is all about. It begins because God chooses to forgive in Christ. And that was all last week's message. It's, it's available. You can go and listen to it. We're not going to develop it this week. But something else that Isaiah says here that we just touched on last week. And that is that proper worship is individually initiated. But fulfilled in unified corporate worship. Here's where I ask you to remember your high school grammar. You remember that when we use the word you in English, we cannot distinguish just by that word whether it is a second person singular, meaning you, I pointed at Cindy, or whether it is a second person plural, meaning you. In the Harrisburg area, they've worked it out. You, youngs. It's even better down south. You, all y'all. You'll notice when you read in Isaiah that Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4 both begin in the same way. In that day, And then there's a pronoun. You. You. Second person plural. Second person singular. English, you can't tell. 
Hebrew, we can. And the first one, when God says, or Isaiah writes, in that day, it's you. It's singular. It's how Isaiah chapter 6 through 12 started. It began with Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Uzziah, I mean, I, 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 Isaiah, I stood before the very throne of God. That's where it began. It began with the individual. And Isaiah, as he begins this poem, says, you, the individual, need to worship God. You need to find that time in your daily life, in your moment-by-moment life, where you're taking time to give praise and honor and glory to God. God, thank you. My kids and family are convinced that I have the superpower of finding the closest parking space to anything. In fact, Brennan said to me the other day, he said, Dad, I used to think it was laziness. Because that's what I would say, just laziness. I drive around until I find the right parking lot. But then he noticed, we just pull right in and it's right there. I have the superpower of parking spaces. <laughs> but you know what I find myself doing? I find in that parking space, and God would be faithful if I had to walk six miles. But to just say, thanks, God, that was really kind. I told you the story of my friends that lost everything in the midst of Hurricane Katrina and how at the end, as we gathered together for a church service, and my secretary, who was, was the one of these that lost, stood up and said, I praise God for his faithfulness, even as I've lost everything. That's individual worship. That's where it begins. But Isaiah wants us to understand that individual worship is not enough. Because as you read down and you get there to Isaiah chapter 12 and you get there to verse 4, it says, in that day... Now, let me give you the translation. All y'all. Second person plural. will praise God and worship him. Isaiah says, yes, it begins with one, but it becomes one as part of the body, one as part of the nation, one as part of the people of God, one as part of the covenant people, one as part of the very Christ that we represent. And he declares very, very clearly, worship is a corporate event. All y'all come together. You cannot properly worship God fully unless you take that which is individual and find a way also to express it corporately. You cannot live the Christian life as it was meant to be lived if you are not part of a corporate worshiping body. It is so clear. In fact, most of the time when you read you in the New Testament, it's all y'all. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, plural, daily bread. 
forgive us our trespasses. It's corporate. And though we may pray it individually, and there's nothing wrong with that, God calls us to corporately respond. To do it together. But Isaiah's not done with his grammar lesson. There's one more. You find it in verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy. She of Zion. Now it becomes third person singular. What Isaiah is saying. I begin individually. I bring it together corporately. But corporately, it is a unified worship. Zion, the people of God, the place where God dwells among his people as the kingdom develops. It is there that we come together, not as individuals gathered, but as one group in unity, standing together as God's people. Why? Because God is the Holy One, not just of Cindy and Keith and, and Dave and John and, you know, go all the way down through. But he's also the God of Grace Community Church. But even more so, he is the God of the kingdom of God, the people of God. When we come together and we worship in unity, whether that unity be socioeconomic and wealthy with poor and educated with less educated, and whether it be manual labor or, blue or, or white collar labor, and we come together and we say together we honor and value one another and we worship and we proclaim our God together. Whether it be racial and we come together as black and we come together as white and we come together as tan and we come together as all the different mixes of color that make up this wonderful tapestry that God has made and we proclaim to the world we are one body in Christ. Worship begins individually. But here's what's so important. When we come together on a Sunday morning, it will not be as moving both to God and to one another unless you've worshipped during the week. Do you realize every single worship service is a potluck? Okay, pot providence. You know what a potluck dinner is? Some people come to the potluck and they're not able to bring anything, but they come and they, they partake of the food and the fellowship. And our attitude there is welcome, come. Some of you come and you stop at Wawa or Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever before you get here. And, you know, you bring kind of the, the, the pre-made stuff. Hey, I like that stuff. We say, come, bring what you have. Oh, but some of you, you slave all afternoon on that dish. Probably a casserole. And you bring it. And together we all share it. 
and we rejoice and celebrate at the grandeur of our feast. Beloved, that's what worship is. Everybody's invited. But bring what you've had. If you come this week and you have nothing, it's been a really hard week and you're, you're struggling with the Lord and, and come, bring that as we seek to encourage and lift you up and as we praise our God and we celebrate our God together. If you come and all you've done is read daily bread all week, that's great. But maybe this week was something powerful. And you want to come and as you sing, we can look over at you and watch the, the, the impact of your worship on us. You see, our individual worship is not done till we do it corporately. But our corporate worship, we will never enjoy it individually unless we bring the individual worship that we've had during the week. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. But then he says, we rejoice in the God of our salvation, the God of Israel. When we come and you say, you know what, I didn't get anything out of that worship service. It might have been a bad message. It might have been some terrible songs. But you know the first place to look? How much of my worship did I bring in? How much am I standing in unity with the people I'm worshiping with? How much have I taken time to be ready to praise and glorify and honor God? Because individual worship without corporate becomes falsehood, becomes proud, becomes isolated. But corporate worship without a foundation of individual worship is empty and lifeless, and unmoving. And any worship without unity is corruption. Isaiah says, in that day, you. In that day, all y'all. And in that day, she, the bride of Christ, comes together and celebrates her God. And then finally, proper worship progresses through to active completion. We don't have a lot of time this morning, and I want to make sure that we have time to gather for our discovery classes and, yes, to have our fellowship time because um, I know you can't go to discovery unless you've had a good snack first. But when you begin in Isaiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, there is a path.
pattern that Isaiah gives. And all of it needs to be a part of our worship. Not every service, but in the overall arc of our worship, we need to be certain that these things are there, and others, but that these things are there. The first thing is worship calls forth repentance. Whenever you encounter God, you will find your inadequacy. Whenever you encounter God, you will declare, I'm a man of unclean lips. It always happens. If it hasn't, then I'm not sure you've encountered a holy God. The God of Scripture. Maybe the God of your making. For you see, when Isaiah begins this passage, he reminds us that it's all about the grace of God and the forgiveness that I come and receive from God. When in Isaiah chapter 12, and beginning in verse 1, when he says, I praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. You've comforted me. Isaiah is preparing us for Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people. He's preparing us for Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah chapter 55 where he talks about the suffering servant that comes and pays for our sin. He's preparing us for Isaiah chapter 37 through 39 where even the righteous king Hezekiah fails. And says in all of it, we need to have an attitude of repentance. God, you're holy. I ain't. And to worship you, I begin there. Now worship, I mean, I'm sorry, repentance is not just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That may be a part of it. Second Corinthians reminds us of the sorrow, of righteous sorrow that comes when I understand sin. But ultimately, when we talk about repentance, we're talking about these elements. First, it is an acknowledgement of my failure an acknowledgement of my sin, an acknowledgement of my recklessness with the sovereignty and holiness of God. And I acknowledge, God, you're right. I'm not. You're sovereign. I'm not. You're holy. I'm not. Secondly, it acknowledges the damage that I've done. That what I have just done or failed to do, first, damages God's holiness. It is an offense to him. David cried out, Lord, against you I have sinned. Yeah, Bathsheba is in there, and Uriah is in there, and the nation of Israel is in there. And, but God, it's you first. I acknowledge the hurt that I've caused in others. That's the sorrow of repentance. And then lastly, I acknowledge the damage I've done to myself. But it doesn't end there. It accepts that God is sovereign 
and allows him to do his work in, in our lives and allows his instruction and allows his discipline. God, sin is the worst thing in my life. Whatever it takes, God, you are sovereign and loving and gracious and merciful. Deal with it in my life. And then finally, we seek a new direction. And we seek that direction through, first, God's word. Here's how we live. But we also seek it in community as we stand with one another to make those changes. Beloved, if you have a dominant sin in your life, you will not deal with it alone. And then we depend upon the Holy Spirit. And the number way we express our dependence upon the Holy Spirit is through prayer. Worship, I think, begins with repentance. Beloved, when you came here this morning, when did you take time to say, God, thank you for your forgiveness? Father, show me this week through your word, through the songs, the things that violate who you are and what need to change in my life. Lord, use this service that I might bring you more glory and honor through my life. That's where it begins. That's where Isaiah began the poem. That's where Isaiah begins in Isaiah chapter 6. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. But also, worship looks forward that a part of worship is eschatology, the idea that God will make it right in the end. We need that in our lives on a consistent basis. We need to remember that God is at work, that there's an end, that he has a goal and a purpose for everything in our lives, for everything in our world, for everything in our nation. It is ultimately to bring him glory and praise and honor, and in that, our joy. How do I know that? Notice what Isaiah does in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. In that day. What day? The day when God makes it all right. He does it in steps, and we're going to see that as we look at Isaiah chapter 13 to Isaiah chapter 27 in one sermon. Trust me, it won't be that long. The other thing we come to understand is not only does he give us the tastes, but there is a meal. A marriage feast that the celebration of which will last for eternity. As we've talked about our worship service, one of the things we're so well aware of, and the elders are kind of aware of, we don't take time to repent very often in our services. Maybe we need to find places to do that more. And we need to make sure that eschatology, that the end times, God's victory is a part of what we do. Worship involves sharing with one another God's greatness, telling what God has done. Again, in our services, I get to stand up here. The worship team gets to stand up here. But it's kind of hard for all y'all to stand up here and do that. That would be a long service. But you know what? Four weeks from now, we're going to have an evening communion. The primary purpose behind that communion is to give you the opportunity to talk and to praise and to glorify God for what God has done in 
your life. We've talked about how do we bring, we, you know, how do we bring sharing? And those of you who have been around for a while in churches, we're talking about testifying. It's a wonderful old word. How do we bring that into our services? But ultimately, we take time on Sunday mornings to do so much. And okay, maybe it's not part of our, our, our formal service, but are you sharing about what God's doing in your life? It's a wonderful opportunity. Worship is comprised of expressions of praise. And again, we tried this a few weeks ago. Go like this. I go like this. Yeah, that's about what it works out on a Sunday morning. Why, why, why do we do clapping? To make you feel uncomfortable? No. To violate our Pennsylvania Dutch heritage? Yes. It's a way to participate in expression. Do you notice the expressions that Isaiah uses? He says, we sing. We shout. Amen. Amen. I love going to African-American churches. You want to hear shouts of praise? My, my, my. That's my favorite. There's a sense of I'm a part of this. They danced in the Old Testament. Okay, we can stand there and go like this. That's all right. They clapped. You see, so often when we come to worship, I think Grace Community Church, I think we fail somewhat in our expression of worship because we're so self-conscious. You know what came out of this week's study for me? I'm going to start raising my hand. I am not a hand raiser. Now, I'm not sure I'm going to get the full raise. I may do the half raise and maybe the turned palm rays. Beloved, break out of your comfort. If you want to shout amen, shout amen. amen. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Dancing down the aisle, we're going to be a little careful. In front of your seat, that's fine. But all I'm saying is, I don't mean to belittle this, but it's part of doing It's part of expression. It's part of joining in. But to me, this I think is probably the one place that we fail the most. Worship culminates when we reveal to the world God's greatness through our words, our deeds, individually and corporately. Isaiah says, let the world know. Call on the name of the Lord. And what that means is demonstrate his name, his character in what you say and what you do and what you don't say and what you don't do and in the attitudes that you have and in the responses that you have. Why? So that people will know our God. That we can proclaim him. Beloved, this worship this morning is not done unless you take it and leave the doors and do something different.
I know we're going to run out and go to discovery class. That's okay. And we're going to run to the, our meals, and that's okay. But to take time and think, God, what did I learn about you today, and what do I need to do differently? I end with this convoluted sentence. If worship's not done till worship is done, then when this morning's worship is done, what will I do to do worship? Maybe share the gospel this week with a friend. Maybe choose not to yell at the guy that just cut me off. Maybe to change my attitude about the people at work and choosing to serve them rather than use them. Each individual person, every time we gather together for worship, God says, there's something I want you to do. And worship's not done. So worship is done. Father, our worship begins with a relationship with you. Coming to know you as our Savior, as Isaiah did. We pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that is not certain of that relationship, that they would come and speak to me or someone else. But, Father, I'm going to speak to us as a church, as a body of mostly people who come together knowing your Son. May we be people who truly worship you. Father, may we not be simply hearers but also doers. Not for us, not for the blessing, not for all of that, but that you might be praised, that you might be glorified, that you might be honored, and that you might be seen. And for the purpose of demonstrating your kingdom in all that we do.